Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today is another patron select, so thank you to Erica S for being a patron and supporting the show and i really liked erica did something a little fun like she's like hey i'm gonna give you like Mm -hmm. a couple of people's names Mm -hmm. and it's because like i may have met these people (laughs) in her her work capacity and so i was like this is really fascinating i can't wait to learn about these people right i know okay thank you erica again so much for picking this topic and kind of letting me choose i liked it it was kind of like a choose your own adventure (laughs) We know that we love that on the show, so I got to pick, and I today we're going to be talking about Donald Keith Newberry. Mm-hmm. Newberry. I don't know which way it's pronounced, but dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. Okay, <laughs> so Donald Keith Newberry was born on May eighteenth, nineteen sixty-two, in like an outskirts of Albuquerque, New Mexico. He didn't stay in school very long. In fact, he dropped out like after the sixth grade, like to the highest level of education he reached was sixth grade. And I know this because apparently in Texas, they put this in their prison records. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, Murderpedia gets all up in that business. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he would quickly get into trouble. He would start down the wrong path, like theft and things like that. And according to his prison record, which is prison record 326418, He was in Travis County. He was sentenced to 10 years for one count of aggravated robbery. And he was released under mandatory supervision on July 23rd, 1985. And then he wasn't out for very long, like literally almost two years. He basically got back in jail for 15 more years for another count of aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon. Oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you, we've talked about this on the podcast before, like criminals typically start escalating in their crimes. And I don't think he was, was any different. He was released on parole in 1982, but he violated his parole literally three days before his birthday too. Hmm. So it was on May 15th, 1998, he was sentenced to 99 years in the Travis County prison for aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon. So he did not learn his lesson is what I'm trying to say. Mm-mm. Now, don't wasn't the kind of guy who was just going to be like, I'm not going to be in prison for 99 years. So he kind of joined this little gang of people in prison. Yeah. 
So on December 13th, 2000, so 21 years ago, this is great. That feels so weird to say that. It's 21 years ago. Donald and six other inmates broke out of a maximum security state prison that was close to Kennedy in South Texas. Like, that's crazy. That's Mm -hmm. seven people escaping from prison. Right. A high max one, too. Right. The ringleader was George Riveras, and they were accompanied by John Garcia, Randy Helprin, Larry Harper, obviously Donald was there, Patrick Murphy Jr., and Michael Rodriguez. And they basically escaped and then went on the run, and they weren't apprehended until January 21st through the 23rd because they weren't all apprehended together. And... It was a direct result of the America's Most Wanted TV show. So we will get to that. So, like I said, the group was composed of these seven people. George was 30 and he was serving 18 consecutive 15 to life sentences, which that's a fuck ton. Holy shit. Like, (laughs) yeah. Because they weren't my, like reasoning for Mm. i didn't go into why but that's still a lot i could totally see why he was like i gotta get the fuck out of here like even if i were to like make it to my old age like yeah it's a lot Mm -hmm. michael rodriguez was 38 and he was serving 99 to life term which basically is life because if you make it 99 years and you don't die considering that you know most people who go to prison are in their 20s Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would be (laughs) old as fuck (laughs) Right? Like, you would be, like, at least 120. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he's 38, so, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how long he was in there at that point, but still. Larry Harper was 37, and Joseph Garcia and Patrick Henry were both 39, and they were all serving 50-year sentences. Like I said, Donald was serving a 99-year sentence. He also had the longest rap sheet of anyone, so he had done the most crimes. Which I'm like, how? How is that a fact when mm-hmm. literally the guy is serving 18 consecutive 15-year-to-life sentences? Fuck, for real. <laughs> I mean, unless you just did them all together. <laughs> all at once. The youngest member of the group was Randy Helprin, and he was 23, serving a 30-year sentence for injury to a child. I mean, he was still young. He'd be out by the time he was, like, 53. Mm -hmm. So they did this. They used several well-planned ploys, and the seven convicts overpowered and restrained nine civilian maintenance supervisors, four correctional officers, and three uninvolved inmates. And this happened at 11.20 a.m. They planned it during the day because apparently this is the time of day where surveillance was down. Maybe there wasn't as many. I mean, there's only four guards. And I think the maintenance crew was out a little bit more, so it was easier to kind of, like, there would be more of them so they could take their clothes and have a more reason to be walking around. They stole the clothing, they stole credit cards, they stole identification. And so basically they were just like trying to impersonate these officers as well. They used the phones and called in false reports so that like they'd be like, everything's fine. There's nothing going on down here and no backup would come. That's crazy. Right. At one point, three people in the group went to the back gate and they were disguised in the civilian clothing. And they pretended to be installing video monitors and one guard in the... So there was a guard in the gatehouse and they subdued him and they basically raided the tower for guns and weapons and whatnot. The others, they called to the tower to like say like, go look over... Like go... I just imagine it'd be like, go look over there in that section (laughs) far away from where we are. (laughs) And in doing that, they were setting it up so that they could steal a maintenance pickup and they would just literally drive out the back gates, pick up their buddies and then just drive away from the prison. Like this is at this point, like to me, like the least crazy. I mean, it's crazy because like of all the planning that they had to do for this, but it literally seems so simple. 
Right. Hmm. And they didn't like they did at this point they haven't killed anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they found the tr- the you know the police obviously like they like realized like once they found the guards and the maintenance people and all the civilians they're like holy shit. Mm-hmm. There's some convicts out on the loose, so we better <laughs> like find them. So they went out looking for the truck, and they found it. It was parked at a Walmart, which I was like, "That's smart," because Walmart typically doesn't pay attention to their cars mm-hmm. unless they've been there for more than 24 hours. Right. So then they, this made them become the Texas Seven because they were the seven criminals <laughs> from Texas. I, I mean, come on, we weren't really great at naming things back then. It's okay. I'm here for it. Right. So they left and they went to San Antonio and they kind of started like they started break kind of breaking apart. But what they ended up doing is they ended up robbing a radio shack in mm. in Perlin, Texas on December 14th, about 2 a.m. And they didn't just like break into the shop because they thought like and I thought this was smart because it's a radio shack. They thought, oh, they probably have security like systems mm-hmm. in place. So they broke into the place next door and then went in and like somehow disarmed it. Hmm. On December 19th, four of the members checked into an Econo Lodge in the Farmer's Branch in Farmer's Branch, Texas, under assumed names. And they would rob an Oshman's sporting goods in nearby Irving, Texas. Hmm. And this would be kind of something the group did. They would rob sporting goods stores mm-hmm. because sporting goods stores carry weapons. Right. I mean, they carry knives, they carry some carry not all carry guns, but some do depending on, like, the kind of sports stores they are. Right. They carry, like, bows and arrows, even if you're just looking at something like a bat or something. hmm On December 24th, they held up another store, and they stole 44 guns. Oh, my God. I know. That's a lot of guns. <laughs> Fuck. Like, what the fuck are you doing with those guns? <laughs> yeah. And I think they're, like, long guns. Like, I don't think that... I don't mm. know if they carry, like, handguns. Mm-hmm. In those stores, at least I know in California, they only carry, hand, like, long mm-hmm. guns in sporting goods stores. Mm-hmm. At least that's what... They told me when I was we were looking at guns, they were like, yeah, we only carry long guns. I was like, cool. And so a customer who was outside of the sporting goods store was like, hey, called the police because they knew something was going on. And dispatch sent one officer over and his name was Aubrey Hawkins. And he was actually having dinner with his kid, his son at the time. And he left to go. And so he arrives on the scene and is immediately ambushed. And he is he's killed in this Aww. kind of altercation. Yeah. His autopsy would show that he sustained 11 gunshots <gasps> and his body had been run over oh by the fleeing God. gang. According to the former Dallas County prosecutor, Toby Shook, he said he was killed in a savage way. After they killed him, they drug his body from the car and they drove over his body with their car and they took his gun as a souvenir. Newbury, who this is the episode about, never expressed any remorse, really. He was a big part of that. So, obviously, a police officer being murdered puts up the stakes. People are like, the Mm -hmm. fuck? So, they started off with a reward of $100,000 if people could catch the group. And then they ended up upping it to $500,000 if if the group was apprehended. That's, like, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, like, when I first read that, I was like, fuck, but they're armed. I'm like, but it's Texas. Everybody's armed. (laughs) So, here comes the tie-in with America's Most Wanted. So a man by the name of Wade Holder, who was the owner of the Coach Light Motel and RV Park in Woodland Park, Colorado, happened to be watching a television program called America's Most Wanted on January 20th. And Wade was, oh no, sorry, it wasn't Wade, a friend of Wade's, I should say. 
was watching this. And he saw that on America's Most Wanted were these seven men. And he was like, holy shit, Wade, they're staying at your RV park. Mm-hmm. So basically, he confirms this by, you know, like, looking at, like, getting the images. And then rep- he calls in on January 21st and reports it to the police. And El Paso, Texas sent a SWAT, or El Paso County Sheriff sent a SWAT team. And they apprehended Garcia, Rodriguez, and Riveras. They were basically parked inside of a Jeep Cherokee, like, outside of the <laughs> RV. And they were just, like, waiting there. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool, guys. You just waited there? <laughs> so I guess then they went into the RV. And they found Halprin and Harper, and Halprin had just was like, I surrender. But Larry Harper decided that he did not want to go back mm. to prison, and he took the ultimate out. He actually shot himself oh, wow. in the chest and then in the left temple. And so then they were, the rest of them were taken into custody, except so that that puts five people that they've now caught. Mm. On January 23rd, they received information about the whereabouts of the last two, which is Donald Newbury, who this is about, and Patrick Henry, or Patrick Henry Murphy Jr. is his full name. Two first names. <laughs> you know it's bad news. I know. Technically three first names. Murphy is too, technically, yeah. yeah. Damn. Murphy's an old man name, but bad, it's still bad. a first name. Mm-hmm. Bad news, bad news. I know. They were hiding out at a Holiday Inn in Colorado Springs, Colorado. <gasps> I used to live there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they were like, okay, so they got the tip. And so basically what they were like, they were like, okay, we will give ourselves up if we can give a TV interview. Oh, my God. Of course. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So early on January 24th, local TV station KKTV anchorman Eric Singer would be taken to the hotel where on camera he interviewed the two by telephone. Mm, Okay. It's very complicated. Like, he could have just stayed in his studio. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Out of harm's way, potentially. Ew. During this time, they both, like, denounced the criminal justice system. And Newbury was saying how corrupt it was and blah, blah, blah. And then they basically found out that Patsy Gomez was a woman who conspired with a man by the name of Raul Rodriguez, who was Michael's father. They basically were the ones who helped them stay out as long as they were. Because, I mean, that's they, they were out more than a month. They were almost out two whole months. Mm-hmm. So George Rivera's was sentenced to death, you know, because he took place in the murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them were also put on death row alongside him. So they all were. So basically, Rodriguez kept appealing. And it I don't really know. It doesn't really say, like, where it ended up. I mean, when you have a death penalty T case, like, it's very rare for inmates not to appeal. Mm-hmm. And they might, like... If you're looking at, like, Scott Peterson's case right now, he appealed to have his death penalty overturned. So now he just has life. So, you know, that's a lot better because if for chance there was, like, an upset in California and a governor decided that they, did, they didn't want to keep the moratorium anymore, right? They, they would start counting down the days. So basically it sounds like all of them had their appeals denied. And Donald Newbery was sentenced to death. And he would be the 1,401st person executed in the United States since 1976. And wow. he would be, yeah, he would be the 521st person executed in Texas. And he would be the 1,226th person to be executed by lethal injection and pronounced dead. So that's crazy. Like I said, he died due to lethal injection. And that took place in Huntsville. And it was 
at 6.25 p.m., and it was for the capital murder of Officer Aubrey Hawkins. Donald was 52 years old at the time. I guess his last words, he mumbled some poetry that each new dignity defeats only the body, pampering the spirit with obscure merit. I love you all. That's it. And some weird last words. <laughs> okay. Right? Lori, who was Aubrey's widow, said that Newberry's execution is just one more step for justice for Aubrey. I chose not to be there because it won't turn back time. Donald Newberry was a party to Aubrey's murder. He deserves this death sentence. I believe final justice will be served when I hear that the remaining so-called Texas Seven have taken their last breath. Mm. So that, yeah, Donald Newberry was part of this, like, crazy group that broke out of prison and like wow yeah that's just like a crazy story it's just crazy yeah for sure and to think like how insane that is like i don't even do you know the last time someone escaped from prison dude i don't even know most of the cases where we like talk about that are super old (laughs) right and this was like in 2000 i was like oh my god how did this happen right Exactly. And they were out for so long. Right. Like most of the time when someone escapes, it's like during transit. Yeah. So it's like maybe a couple days at most. Right. Like it's always and they're easily found because it's like really hard to like, you know, I don't know if you don't know how to get a handcuffs or, you know, it just it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I know it's wild. And also that like 2000, we're talking like media crazy was happening. We didn't have social media, but like people watch the news all the time. Like Mm -hmm. people used to get up and this is a weird concept. People used to get up and watch the news instead of look at their phones. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so you have this, you have people watching the news, but like, could you imagine being at the fucking sporting goods store and be like, oh shit. Oh my God. Like, oh no, it's them. Why are they here? (laughs) <laughs> yeah so scary you can have, oh my god i'd be like you can have all the guns i'm gonna go in the back i wasn't here <laughs> <laughs> just leave me alone goodbye <laughs> right like because wouldn't you uh, not want like if you're like no thank you yeah hell no especially a retail job fuck no goodbye <laughs> minimum wage is not worth it <laughs> no oh man right that's why like anyone i've never worked in like clothing retail but anyone i've talked to has always been like it's never worth it like you don't want no i remember (laughs) one time when i worked at like a phone kiosk in the mall Mm -hmm. this guy had come out of victoria's secret with one of the tester bottles Mm -hmm. literally had the label that said like tester on it (laughs) and he went into jc penny's and like the the mall i worked at used to have like undercover like they employed people to be security guards, but they wore plain clothes. Mm-hmm. Loss prevention, and, yeah. And all of a sudden, you just see this guy come bolting from JCPenney's, running, and they just tackle him right in front of mm. my phone booth. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what's happening? This is amazing. <laughs> and then they, like, they emptied this guy's. And the other thing, it's also, like, it's also July in fucking Redding, California. Like, nobody should be wearing yeah. a hoodie. It was too hot. <laughs> Mm-mm. yeah oh no <laughs> so they were like pulling things out of his hoodie and it was all these like victoria's secret products and they were like no oh, my god they were like dude why are you stealing that he's like i gotta get my girl a present and like what oh my at this god. point like a female like loss prevention officer has walked up and she's standing there she's like i don't know about your girl but i would not appreciate a half-used bottle of perfume <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was like, yay. And then they had to take my statement to see if, like, what happened. I'm like, no, he tackled him. It was amazing. It was like, woo, smash. Oh, my gosh. But anyways. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just a little, like, retail drama humor for you guys. Yes. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. And we will see you back here on Monday for another episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.